This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Momwell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome back my good, good friend, Brianna Kappa, to the show. Brianna is the founder of Conscious Mummy, where she shares her knowledge and insights on parenting and reparenting ourselves across Instagram and TikTok and within her private practice that she maintains. She's been on the show with us many times before. In episode 10, where we unpack the secret of mindful mothering. In episode 16, where she talked about fostering independent play. Episode 26, when we talked about how to cope with COVID as parents. And most recently in episode 95, where we talked about adding a sibling to your family and how to navigate that adjustment. Today, I have asked Brianna to join us for a more abstract and, dare I say, existential conversation, trying to give language to a mixed set of feelings that we can feel as our children grow and become more independent and need us less and less. In this episode, we talk about finding our way to acceptance with the way that our family looks now, especially if it's not going to change whether we've made that decision for ourselves or it's been made for us. We also talk about how milestones in our life can be a time that brings on reflection, both of our past and of our future, and how that can bring up a lot of different grief or various emotions that we don't always name and understand. And stick around to the end where we talk about a really taboo topic that I've heard very few speak about. And that is when we experience regret sometimes for our choices. Maybe we're in a really hard season of motherhood or we're really running on a lack of sleep and we're questioning whose choices even brought us to this moment to begin with. Would I redo this again if I knew that this is how hard motherhood would be? Brianna is just one of those friends that you can sit back and talk about the meaning of life with. And this is definitely one of those more abstract conversations, but it does bring such a language to the experience that many of you have have expressed to me that you have felt. I hope you get as much from this conversation as I did. Let's hear this week's episode. What's better than taking a course designed to help you manage your mom rage so you can parent with less anger and more connection? Taking that course with a community of like-minded moms and direct mentorship from me and Dr. Asherina Reem, also known as Psyched Mummy. Do you tend to beat yourself up over how you've handled tough parenting situations? We get it and we've been there. We have been taught that moms are supposed to be tender and nurturing and when we feel or express anger, we believe something is wrong with us. But being reactive or losing your cool doesn't make you a bad mom. It just means that you need the right tools in your toolbox to help you stay calm. In our course, All the Rage, we use proven methods to teach moms how to handle the most triggering parenting moments. And beginning in May, for the first time ever, we're running a live version of the course to help guide you through step-by-step and provide the answers you need along the way. Over the five-week course and live mentorship, you'll learn how to parent in a way that feels good, be in control of your own emotions, repair after human moments, connect with other moms who are working through the same struggles, have access to Dr. Reem and I in weekly Q&As, and so much more. You'll get personalized expertise that isn't included in the original course, along with a supportive online community of moms in our private Facebook group. Already purchased the course? Don't worry, you can upgrade with our mentorship and community add-on. 
Join us for All the Rage Live 2023. Head to slash rage to register now. That's slash rage. Welcome to the MomWell Podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Brianna, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again today. I was just saying you've been here four times with us before, and I'm so excited to have you back. It's always amazing to be with you. I'm so inspired by you and the work that you do, and I know our hearts are aligned, so. Yeah, it's been a while. I, maybe I just like use this as an excuse, honestly, for us to get together and catch up because otherwise <laughs> it seems so impossible to make the time. I see your video content, the growth you're having on Instagram and TikTok, and your message is really resonating with parents. I love to see it. Thank you. My main passion is really helping parents understand whatever hurts and pains that they experienced and how those things continue to show up for them in their relationship with their child. And I see so much content online that I think is really good hearted and really good spirited, but it's all about like pouring into the child. And I think what you and I really know as, you know, maternal mental health specialists is we can only pour into the child what has been poured back into us. And so, so much of my message, and I know it's so aligned with you, is how do we pour into the parent? How do we help the parent resolve the things that feel so overwhelming, that feel so exhausting, that feel so hard for them? What's the history behind these things? How do we help the parent make sense of that, both intellectually, but also in that feeling space? Like we really have to like feel. Hmm. And then from there, we can start moving And we can move whatever is stuck inside of us and actually connect with these kids in the way that I know everybody wants to. Mm -hmm. So thank you for seeing that and noticing the work. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I think that a lot of the parenting that we see is about ways that we can like change our child's behavior. And what I find difficult about that as a mom who's raising a neurodivergent son is like sometimes things are just what they are. And I've got to manage that or I've got to reflect on my own feelings about that rather than like trying to control the situation to control my own distress. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So having that approach to parenting where it's just as much about us, if not, you know, mostly about us and our reactions and how we handle things versus just ways to handle a situation, which obviously we can all use help and coaching in, but Ultimately, I feel like there has to be both and you definitely do both of those things. Yeah, yeah. I so appreciate you bringing in that like neurodiverse piece. 
because I definitely think that that's a big issue in parenting. You know, I work with so many neurodivergent parents. I'm neurodivergent myself. Yeah. I'm also the parent of a neurodivergent child. And so when we're, we speak like, oh, just do this and then everything will be fixed in your home. Right, right. It doesn't apply to a lot of people because we're dealing with neurodivergence. We're dealing with undiagnosed, untreated issues. We might have, you know, trauma and things that can be impacting the way a person is showing up. At the end of the day, it's not so much about like what you're doing. It's more like, how are you being and how are you healing? How are you pouring back into yourself and meeting yourself with compassion and gentleness and healing those wounds so that you can show up for your children in whatever way they need you to, right? Right. That's the journey here. That's what we're doing. There is no like recipe for this is how you are a perfect parent or this is how you raise a perfect child. Mm-hmm. There's seriously no recipe. Show up, be honest, be authentic, be open, feel what you're feeling, do your best not to project, mm-hmm. be present, be curious. That's the tenet. Mm-hmm. That's the tenet of, I think, what, if we're really going to boil it all down, that's the tenet. That's what takes away all the freaking pressure mm-hmm. that we're under all the time. Yeah. That's what helps us get grounded. Mm-hmm. It's so vital. We just need more of it, I think. Yeah. I feel like that's been the most freeing thing that I've done is just embrace the reality of what the situation is and work with the moment we're in and not necessarily change it or shift it, just like be there and show up and try my best to regulate myself to help be a presence to regulate. And like, I've had to let go and just really accept that wild meltdowns and tantrums are just going to be a part of our life sometimes. And that's what we're in. That's what we're dealing with. But it's also okay. And it doesn't have to, you know, we don't have to control it to be a different way. I think that like when we're talking control and things like going not according to plan, I think that kind of reconciling our expectations versus our reality, it brings up the topic that I immediately thought of you about when I got a couple of messages. So we're kind of loosely on the podcast right now doing series or like building on this um, one episode that went semi-viral about how to decide whether or not to expand your family or have more children. Mm -hmm. And I received hundreds upon hundreds of DMs of follow-up questions and things about like, what if our partner and like we're in disagreement or what if there's trauma or what if there's, and we've been slowly kind of tackling each of these little pieces that families face. But one of them that came in was like, okay, what if we've decided that we're done or the choice has been made for us, whether we were ready to be done or not. And like accepting that and wrestling with that. I think maybe we start there because there's this other piece of like waves of this, like as kids continue to grow, but it's kind of like, now I know for certain that the door is closed, but I'm not happy about it. And what do we do with that? Like, it's very gut-wrenching and disappointing, you know? Yeah. Boy, I mean, it just, it brings up actually a lot for me when I think about it. Um, One, as a person who has made that decision and has felt very good about having made that decision. And then in the next moment, it's like, was I actually ready to make that decision, right? You know, like that ambivalence Mm -hmm. around, okay, I'm choosing this path, but then at the same time, is it actually what I want? 
you know me, I like to think from many different perspectives, like what informs or what influences our desire to keep growing a family, even beyond what our body is saying it can do or beyond what our financial situation says that it can do, et cetera. Right. So when I think about like, what's a primary influence of that? Well, I think of, you know, the patriarchal idea that a woman's value, I'm going to speak specifically to women, but a woman, a woman's value is in the status of her uterus. Mm-hmm. So when her uterus is either, it is either decided for her that her uterus can no longer do this, or she makes the decision, I'm not going to put my uterus through this. Mm. She now has to grapple with a societal projection, a conditioned, unconscious belief that is just kind of with all of us, that her value is fading. Now, of course, I don't actually believe that. Right, right. I'm just kind of naming it. Like this is a societal projection. This is a result of a patriarchal systemic idea that this is where a woman has most value. And, you know, we see this across religions as well, you know, go and be fruitful. That's the Catholic Mm. idea. Go and be fruitful. They don't mean actual fruit, Erica. (laughs) They mean the fruit of one's loins. So I think there is a big piece of grief and maybe even like, ooh, like identity crisis, because now like you're kind of being a little countercultural, yeah, by either making this decision or going through, you know, like maybe a traumatic situation that has caused infertility, or maybe like you gave birth to your first child and you had to have an immediate hysterectomy when you were twenty seven years old. Mm-hmm. I know women like that. And the opportunity for more children was literally stolen from them right. because of issues that are completely out of their control. So I think grappling with that, grappling with that reality is really important for us to understand. That's like a small piece Mm -hmm. of, I think, the overall grief puzzle that happens when that decision is made that we're no longer adding to our family. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, 
But taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I think that there are many things that we lose in our minds in a moment to be either forcefully done beyond our control or deciding to be done. Like for me, I have a house full of ninja training camp boys and there will not be the little, you know, girl with the frills and whatever, whether she would have been that way or not, you know. So there was that piece, there's their ideal family piece, but then there's also this identity piece. And I was watching a video the other day. I wish I could remember the creator popped up on Instagram and someone had asked her what she wants to do with her free time. I think the context was like her, all her kids were now in school and it's like, well, you can invest in yourself during this time. And what would you like to do? I think it was between her and her partner. And she was like, I don't even know. I haven't had a break. Like I just want to like lay down and stare at the ceiling. Like what? I don't even know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Part of this is that when we start to regain capacity in our lives coming out of this postpartum period, coming out of the sleep deprivation and the constantly, you know, being dependent on and needed, any capacity we regain, it's like, do we fill that with another child? Do we take up that space within our motherhood identity or do we fill it with something else? And Mm. if we're so lost in motherhood after three and four and five and six years, what else do we even fill that time with? And I think that that bridges into the other piggyback question on this topic was like the grief of our kids getting older and watching them. Like I, I kind of had this moment, actually. My youngest started, we have junior kindergarten here, so he's four and he started into a preschool equivalent for you guys. And I was like, ooh, all the babies are not babies anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it brought up a contemplation of like, I could do it again. Like, do it. Like, I, I could. We could do it. Do I want to? N- nothing about me wants to, in all honesty. <laughs> when I really ground myself in the reality of it, zero things. Like, I just have to do one morning routine to get all three kids out the door in the morning. And I'll tell you, I don't want to do it again, you know? Uh huh. But the grief of it for a moment, it's like, I gain capacity. They're growing. Oh, like I'm not needed in the same way, or it's not the same as it was. And there's something about this being needed and them growing up and, you know, individuating, becoming a little bit more themselves, which is amazing. And it's celebratory and it's a milestone. But there is like a back kick of grief that parents, I think, experience going through that. Yeah. You said it so many times. It's the growth. It's growing. Yeah. And that's where I think the grief comes from. It's the growing pains. You know, when we see our children growing up, it's exciting, but it also, yeah, it's like this chapter is closing. Right. Like you just read this amazing book and you're like, but 
but now it's done, yeah. right? Don't you feel that way? Like when a series ends? Like I don't want it to be done. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, I don't want it yeah. to be done. I want it to keep going. But that's the conundrum. Yeah. That's part of this wild ride of being a parent, this total paradox of the human experience. How can I both want hard moments to end quickly and get through them as quick as possible and at the exact same time not want it to end? How can I stand (laughs) over my child who I just spent two hours trying to get them to go to freaking bed and then see them sleeping and think, oh my God, I can't wait for you to wake up so I can give you a great big hug and tell you how much I love you. Mm -hmm. It's paradoxical. When you really like put them together, they don't make any sense together. But when you're living it out, it does make perfect sense. It does make perfect sense to look at your child heading off to preschool and being like, wow, you look like such a big kid in that backpack. I'm so nostalgic for the days when you were just a little baby and I just scooped you up and I held Mm -hmm. you. And at the same time, I don't want to go back to that. But I love that. And I appreciate that time. And I'm learning to really love and appreciate all of the beauty Mm -hmm. and all of the hardship that this new phase teaches me. And I think that is the part of our growth and the part of our journey. Mm -hmm. It maybe even brings up unconsciously like existential things around like the way our life is going and our own mortality, right? You see your children get older and you see yourself get older and you see yourself getting closer to middle age and then Mm -hmm. beyond, like you're over that proverbial hill. And so children kind of serve as a reminder. It's like, it's almost like I look at my kids and I see them and I'm like, you are a reflection of where I was and where I'm going, Mm. like all at the same time. Like I, holy crap, like how do you really wrap your head around that? Right. I don't know if you do. I think it'll make us go a little too cuckoo if we do try to wrap our head around it, but more just like, it's like looking at a beautiful piece of art or something and just admiring it for mm-hmm. all of it, for its eccentricities and just what it represents. That's to me how I experience even the similar types of moments that you're describing, which I have all the time with my children, right? constantly. Yeah. And when we're labeling that as grief, I think that I'll put a little asterisk here and say that this is not comparable to you know, the grief of having lost a yeah. child or something like that. Like, because, you know, I can just imagine, you know, moms I've worked with or people in the community being like, oh, I'd love to have that grief of like watching my kids grow up, you know, and it's not to be disrespectful or to yeah. like overlook those experiences. It's to just try to put names to and like language around an experience that can still be very hard and difficult. And we're not going to compare sufferings here. We know that like, you know, loss is the most gut-wrenching thing in the world to experience. And so in thinking about it from the perspective of trying to accept where we are, like my child is like a measure of, I don't know, my age or my whatever, like my oldest, he's seven turning eight, and he is going to be looking me in the eyes in no time. And I think I'm still 25 in my brain. And, you know, Surely time isn't on this fast forward. It is that like that check-in sometimes with ourselves of where we're at. And this is the piece I think that is really big and important is if up until, let's say my little went to school, if I was stay at home or I was still in the form of self-martyred and motherhood that I started my motherhood journey in, 
and I had wrapped my whole entire identity in being a caregiver to these boys, I would have lost myself to some degree because where's my purpose? Where's my identity? Like my whole, you know, time and energy and value and identity is wrapped up in this caregiving role that now what do I do with that? Sometimes I see if people decide not to have more, like we get a dog, (laughs) we get something else to take care of, which is like a valid, potentially very healthy, adaptive thing to do. But it's like now that mirror is we do have to sort out ourselves, our own satisfaction. Am I where I thought I'd be in my life? Is this what I thought having a family would look like? I know these things come up sometimes like, am I in my career or is this what I envisioned? And it is those sort of existential check-ins with ourselves. I find in these big milestones too, that add a layer to this, like the meaning we attribute to these times, I would say. So much. I'm just feeling so much of what you're saying. And I'm thinking about that parent who by the time their kid is school-aged is really gut-wrenched and lost in terms of who they are because there was no emphasis on nurturing their own personal interests, right? We live in a society and in a culture that tells a woman specifically that her highest contribution to society is being a mother. Mm -hmm. And so with that narrative passed down societally, culturally, and perhaps maybe even conditioned on each individual family system level. So like you are getting it from all angles. Mm -hmm. You're stepping into modern parenting and in the modern world with these old world ideas. Right. And you have this fantasy and this idea that motherhood is going to be this incredibly fulfilling thing that you will want nothing else for. Why would you even want to exist if it isn't for being a mother to your children? And this is still a fairly taboo topic, to be perfectly honest, to be talking about. And I think that's why we get so sucked in. And that's why we feel wrecked, because it's like we're sold a delusion that this is going to solve all of your problems, and this is going to make you so happy, and you're not going to need anything else. This is all you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, as if we're these one-dimensional caricatures And that's it. That's our life purpose. Now, let me just say, there are some women, women in my life who I know where that is literally where they derive meaning and they're very authentic about it. And that is what works for them. And let me tell you, I live, I live for it. I just, I'm Mm -hmm. like, great. We 100% need people like that in our community. Right. But we also need to be having conversations and creating space for people to be able to know that like, there's also other valid ways to exist here as a mom. And, you know, I think that for a lot of us, and I'll say this, like for the moms in my classes and the families that I work with in private practice, when they're really knee deep into everything that they're doing for mothering and suddenly that's off the table because the child is differentiating and starting to rely on adolescents and peer groups and just kind of doing their own thing and pulling away from the family, they struggle with that. Yeah. And so I think part of the growth process is really remembering that like behind the mother, behind the parent, there is still me as well. And it isn't selfish or wrong or bad for me to invest in that. You know, they call it empty nest syndrome for a reason, 
because you feel, you know, like something is kind of gone. And then that pressure, as you were saying, well, I have to fill it. I have to fill, fill, fill. Mm-hmm. That feels very, you know, capitalist and productivity oriented to me. That's what I hear when I hear that. Yeah. There's no space to be still. There's no place to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What if we learned how to be uncomfortable with the fact that maybe for six or seven years, I was so full in that I neglected myself. And now I'm sitting with the effects of that. Like, what if we learned to do that? Mm-hmm. What if we learned to like sit and feel that and not judge it, right. but just like be with it? Mm-hmm. I bet you we'll grow through it. In fact, I know for a fact we will grow through it when we give ourselves the space to really sit and feel it. And when you feel it, you heal it. That's kind of how it goes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me a lot about the concept of radical acceptance that I'm sure you're aware of in our work where I've been writing about recently where I guess a gist of the concept for those who don't know is that when we try to wrestle with or change a situation because it should be a certain way, we actually prolong our distress and our discomfort because we're trying to change something ultimately we may not even have control over. And keeping that gap in what we think reality should be and what it is and whatever prolongs our suffering versus an acceptance of and an owning of that moment and sort of sitting with it without wrestling back and forth with it. And I think that initially the thought popping up of when my littlest went to school thinking, I could do that again. And I'm like, no, let's just name this the grief of like my little one going off and like a a closing of a chapter. Name it, understand it for what it is, that it's okay. I'm also like very excited to be gaining independence. Like we got to go on a family trip, like a family of five for the first time because of the same milestones, you know? So it's like a two-sided coin, but being able to just sit with it instead of try to alleviate it or act on it or wrestle with the situation and make it different than what it is. I just was like, oh, this is it. This is what we're in right now. Being able to get to that place of acceptance, though, some people go through it. Some people will like fight with a situation and not accept the reality for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the grief process, isn't it? Yeah. When we're working through grief under any circumstance, part of the process is trying to bargain, being in denial, being angry with it, Mm. feeling sad about it, and then eventually accepting it. And then maybe cycling through all those stages again, because we also know that grief is not a linear process. It can be a complicated process and that's okay. Right. And I think that eventually we all do come to a place of acceptance. It's just, do we make it harder on ourselves by trying to resist? Mm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think sometimes we do. And then that can be an area that we sit with and we reflect on. Why do I feel so resistant? to this new stage that we're in? Why do I long for the previous stage so much? Sometimes it might just have to do with the wounds that are attached to that previous stage, right? I didn't get the birth that I wanted. Hmm. I wasn't the parent that I believed I truly am. Mm -hmm. So I want a chance to do it again. So we get kind of stuck trying to relive the past. And then another way that we get stuck is trying to predict what will happen in the future. But where real freedom is, is this is where I am in the here and now. This is what's happening. Mm -hmm. I feel some unresolved feelings about the past. Or I feel like there were things I wish I would have done differently. 
To me, that's acceptance. When you can name that, you're accepting it without judgment. Mm -hmm. The judgment sounds like, I was such a terrible mother. What was wrong with me? I should have read more parenting books so that I was better in that stage. Mm -hmm. That's me doing the opposite of acceptance. That's me judging. That's me shaming. But if I, boy, I must've been going through something. Something felt unresolved. I really wanted more for myself. But I, I respect that version of me who was probably needing something and just didn't know how to get her needs met. And so now here I am in the present moment showing up as somebody who feels a little bit more confident in who I am. I'm learning how to get my needs met. I'm doing it. Just as an example, but Mm -hmm. my point is, is that this idea of being able to accept ourselves and accept the way the journey is unfolding probably does have something to do with letting go a little bit of what has happened in the past because we can't change it and trusting that it's going to continue to unfold and we don't have a ton of control about how it unfolds. We really only have control over how we perceive it and how we respond to the unfolding. And that's a really deep message. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirina Reem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes, and we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, Raising Kids with Less Anger and More Connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com As you're talking about these milestone moments, I see them as these moments where we straddle the past and the future in such a 
in front of us kind of way. Like this happens when we like have a child and then we see our parents parenting our child in front of us if our parents are involved or around. And it's like our past and our future collide with one another, you know, and it can be complicated. And I think that in these milestone moments, it's like, okay, the past is what it is. And this is where the kids are going. And it's just when loss can resurface, like I'm thinking about, for example, like I lost my dad suddenly. My first was about one. And it was like going through the healing process, going through the grief of that. I found out the day after his funeral that I was pregnant with my second, actually weird time in life, like weird, weird events unfolding. And then working through that and feeling like we've healed to a certain degree and, you know, we're not in as much suffering or we've accepted that as much as we can in this moment or whatever. And then reaching these new milestones and stages where like, oh, then a a second baby comes or a third baby or the kids are going to school or these things are happening where we look around kind of. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We like take inventory of our past. We look to our future. We look who is in the room with us. And seeing those worlds colliding, like show that that acceptance or that grief, as you had talked about, is not linear. Like it's not like we've come to a place where we've accepted it and it's never going to resurface again. And I think that that's what some of the community has brought up when it's like with each new milestone or some of these reflective times in life, these feelings that we thought we'd accepted or let go of, they come back up. Yeah. And I think that they are, like you said, not linear. So that doesn't mean I would say that like, you haven't done some of the work or you have not accepted, right? Like, as you said, these things wax and wane and they're not just like a static set it and it's healed or done. It's not like a designation, I guess is what I'm saying. There is no destination, right? Like, and there's no like final stopping point, I guess, other than death. I mean, death is the final stopping point. Right. But like, are we really living our life to die? Is that what we're trying to do? Or are we living our life to live? I'm here to live my life to live. And I think the way that we maybe like cut ourselves off at our knees is by, you know, staying stuck in what was or projecting too far into the future and living for something that isn't even guaranteed, that we don't even know anything about. Mm -hmm. And I think I agree with you. It's not so much about like, oh, I'm struggling to accept where I am because I haven't healed something from my past. It's more like every moment becomes a new opportunity. It's a new, fresh moment with myself, with my children. It's a new, fresh moment for me to be curious about, for me to understand even more. I mean, I think what we're talking about is really quite existential and almost like spiritual on a level. Like this is so deep. It isn't just, you know, oh, here's three tips for you when you're feeling nostalgic about where your child was and, you know, get yourself back into the moment. We could do that. We could offer three tips to do that. Mm -hmm. But that's not what this conversation is really about because the underlying thing, why it's so challenging sometimes to accept the present reality is because we are really, I think, working on being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to keep it simple like that, Erica. Yeah. It's just the being in the present moment Mm -hmm. and acknowledging it and learning to not have judgment over it. Mm -hmm. But just like, for example, I had a woman in my office yesterday 
And she was looking at my view. I have this gorgeous view of the Palos Verdes Mountains. And it's just so California, this view that I have in my office. (laughs) And she used to live over here. And she was like, well, I wish when I lived here, I would have taken this in more. Hmm. That's like a good example of like being hard on ourselves or, you know, wishing something that wasn't. Mm -hmm. How about if we're being in the present moment? Wow, I'm so taken by this view. Yeah. This just, it excites me, it grounds me, it scares me, it, whatever it might do. It just brings up a lot for me. Mm-hmm. That I think is the work. Yeah. Taking in where the child is at and being like, wow, instead of the judgment for what we did or didn't do, instead of the projection, well, how can I build on this so that my child you know, can do something with it in the future? No, just, wow, I'm taking it in. Yeah. And it's a lot to take in. If you literally just like focused on taking in your kids' moments as they are day to day, you would probably still be on overwhelm or overdrive (laughs) with how much there is to take in in this wild ride of being a parent. Yeah. And I think that that brings it back around and really brings it home. It's like in these moments, you like take such a big view. It is an existential view and it is the I wishes and I should have. And if I only, and if this person was here, if I did this differently, it's like all of that. And I think that those are the things that like show that we're, we're kind of like we're wrestling against that moment, you know, like that's like, we can't sort of just be there and, and name it. And I think that naming it for me when I was having that little experience with my kids going off to school was like, oh, I can see that. Yeah, I'm saying goodbye to a chapter. And it like made it make sense, gave it some structure, made it feel sort of safer to confront and handle. And was like, okay, like that's what that is. And I see that now. Instead of, well, if I had only done this and if I did that, and like you said, really beating ourselves up for it. So I think that if there is like a takeaway here, like naming those shoulds, reflecting on them or the forward looking, I wishing like this could happen or I should have done that thing. And like, what is that narrative to ourself is a really good indicator of those places that we're maybe stuck or want to lean into and understand a little bit more. Absolutely. And trying not to judge ourselves for even having any of those reactions and just be open to that. This is part of the journey. Right. Part of the journey is looking back and maybe experiencing something like regret or disappointment or longing, right? That's part of the experience here of the human condition. Mm. And then learning how to be with that, grappling with that, knowing that like you literally cannot go back and change anything that has happened in the past, but I can change how I relate to it. Mm. I can change how I let it affect me in the moment. Mm -hmm. I do have a little bit of authority there. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of the human experience is to literally have a human experience, which includes all the depths of it, not just the joys and the ease and the pleasure, which to be perfectly honest, Americans do not have enough. I don't know about Canadians, but I will tell you, Americans do not prioritize joy and pleasure and ease enough. We need a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. But to also experience pain, suffering, heartache, disappointment, sadness, anger, rage, shame, despair, guilt, all of it. That's the depths here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that we frame this conversation in the wrestling with, 
you know, wanting to add another or the grief of watching kids age. But I think that there's a flip side of this coin that does never get brought up is like the regret we feel in the low moments, like regret in motherhood. We don't ever hear those things together because there are moments I can tell you where I've looked at my husband like whose life choices brought us girl, girl. right now. And so I think that there's also those moments and maybe we wax and wing between the two, like, you know, and we ebb and flow back and forth. But the moments of regret of like, how did I get here? Or who decided to have children? Or who told me motherhood was actually going to be this way? I was duped. I signed up for the wrong freaking thing. I got in the wrong line somewhere and signed up for some role that Mm -hmm. I didn't know about. Right. Right. And then the regret and the what ifs and the who I could have been outside of this role entirely also plays into exactly the conversation that we're talking about. It's just kind of like the flip side of the coin. It's like the more negative emotions or the negative moments that spark that reflection Mm -hmm. versus like the positive milestones or things that happen. I feel like it's still the same process and the same reflecting. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I know the same thing. Like, if I'm having a hard moment, it's almost always with my neurodivergent child. It's, yeah. That's the child that, you know, I wouldn't change a single thing. And let me tell you, there are ups and downs. Yeah. Really, truly yeah. associated. I know you know, with parenting a child that, you know, needs some extra support. Yeah. I guess is the best way I can say it. And there have been so many times where I wonder, like, oh, what would it be like if I just like ran away? Mm-hmm. You know, what would happen if I just like, ran away. I'm sure people will notice, but I think they'll get over it. Like these are the things that like my brain will start to go to, right? Yeah. And then of course I immediately feel terribly guilty and incredibly ashamed because it's not reflected at all in my love for my children. I would bend over backwards a million times over because I love my children more than anything. And don't worry, I would never actually just straight up abandon or leave my children. But when I really sit with that, And, you know, I did have a question, like, I did question it one time, like, do I regret my life choices? Do I regret drinking the Kool-Aid that this was what I was told I should be and who I wanted to be? Do I regret that? Because I wasn't actually the person who really particularly wanted children. I love children. I work with children, but I feel like I would much rather be with other people's children sometimes. This is yeah. before having my kids. Oh, that was me. You know That's, what I mean? That was me. That's still me. Right? <laughs> I was like, I was a, I'm not your housewife. Don't come to me for whatever. Like, and didn't feel like, I don't know, very much like maternal or like drawn to that where I have friends who like dreamed about that their whole life. Right. My sister dreamed about it her whole life. And like people were even like, I think surprised when I was like, oh, I want to get married and have kids. They were like, surprised by that because they always saw me as like driven in whatever career choice I was doing, but not necessarily as that type. Oh, and I just want to clarify, like, I love being with my children. I truly do. I very much enjoy being with my children. So if that came off insensitive, that was not anything. I wasn't trying to suggest that I don't love being with my kids. No, not at all. You know, when I question my life choices and I really think about this, like, is it actually regret? that I'm feeling, and I really sit with it, regret doesn't end up even being the thing that resonates. For me personally, the thing that has been resonating Mm. is I feel trapped. Mm -hmm. I feel trapped by a system that requires me to work nonstop, 
in order to support the people that rely on me. I feel trapped by schedules, right. sleep schedules, morning routines, nighttime routines. I'm a very like naturally kind of free, present in the moment kind of person. Always have been, always will be. Like you're not going to change that about me. It's probably why it's very easy for me to be in the present moment and like not be so focused about the past. Don't get me wrong. I'm anxious as hell and definitely think about the future. <laughs> but at least I'm not like living out the past. Yeah. But being in the present moment is like totally, you know, my jam. And you get to have that with children. But I, I also feel like as parents, we're like always thinking ahead and always having to like plan and structure and organize and like have to make really big decisions like earlier than you feel ready to. There's no spontaneity. There's no, no spontaneity. There isn't. Like it's really, especially with a neurodivergent kid who needs routine and structure. It's like, I can't spring things on no. on them, right? So the spontaneity kind of like withers for a while. Yeah. And like you're talking about feeling trapped, like the smothering sort of nature that comes with the pressures of our society. And I like, sometimes I'll think like, if I had known, like if someone had told me yeah. that this is what motherhood is, like would I have signed up for it? Like would I have... You know, and I, like obviously where I am and, you know, loving my life and loving my children, I would like, but it is just something that I think we we find ourselves trapped and duped in and the pressures because it's just like sneaky, like it's not outright, like this isn't what you think you're signing up for necessarily. So I think that that wrestling and grappling with that feeling stuck or being caged in is because of all the pressure and the invisible load and all the other pieces that come with it that are not on the billboard of like, look at what your house plus your children and your whatever like no. look like. And the world is just changing so fast. Like I have no idea how I'm going to prepare my children for a world 20 years from now. I have no freaking clue because the world 20 right. years from now is going to look absolutely nothing like it looks right now. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible pressure. And I certainly don't want to be out of touch, mm -hmm. but also we know because we are the age of, you know, we're, we're millennials. So like we grew up. I'm starting to be out of touch. Right, right. We're super. <laughs> I'm like slay. And they're like, no, my clients are like, no, Miss Bree, do not say that. That does not, that does not work. I'm like, really? Oh, I'm trying so hard to be cool. That's so like, funny. Like, oh, I'm Stan. I'm standing. And they're like, that's not how yeah. you say it. Um, <laughs> we're officially of that generation now that is like officially, out of touch. Yeah. Officially out of touch. But, you know, like I, we know as millennials how much the world dramatically changed with the onset of tech and, you know, cell phones and internet. Like it, it just changed everything so significantly. And now with AI and the, you know, metaverse or whatever it's going to be, Mm -hmm. It's going to change things dramatically as well. And I think these are just so hard things to kind of grapple with and reconcile with as parents. So what do we do? What's the best thing? Because we can't predict the future. We can't change the past. This is true with our children developing. This is true with the way the world around us is developing. What do we do? Mm -hmm. We learn how to accept what is fight like hell to change systems that are oppressive and are, you know, trapping us and keeping us stuck. And you do your best to be present in the moment and appreciate the beauty and the hardship all at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's mm -hmm. all we can do. I feel like that is a recipe for a good life. Yeah. And I think the one thing I would add to that is embrace 
flexibility. Because I think that one of the things that really trips me up is when I got a really rigid ideal or expectation. Again, those shoulds of what it should be. You know, we should be here by this milestone. We should have this many children by this age. We should this, we should that. Being able to adapt my expectations, adapt my ideals, adapt my decision-making flexibly to the reality of where I'm currently at is something that has served me time and time and time again. And I think with having a neurodivergent child or with expanding unexpectedly to a family of five and adding a third child, all of that required flexibility and adapting to now the hand that is before us. And I think that it's really healthy and it's really important to reevaluate our ideals. Like if we're clinging to something and it has been pre-existing from childhood and whatever kind of like dictating things in the background or really like leading our direction for so long, let's like pull that to the forefront and just evaluate it for a moment. Like, does that thing still stand? Is it really that rigid? Can it flex now that I'm an entirely different human being in a different stage of life? Can we reevaluate that for a moment? And that willingness to reevaluate and be flexible for me has been so incredibly freeing to pull things into my my awareness and say, ooh, that doesn't stand anymore. Like, I don't, I don't want to hold on to that. And so, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that like these opportunities, while they do bring up big feelings, are great, great opportunities for us to reevaluate whether we want to hold on to this ideal at all to begin with. Like, is, is, is this expired? Like, does this even still deserve a place on the shelf in terms of importance with the ideals that I have for myself and my family? And it's a good place to check it. It's a good place to say, where did this come from? Did I put this here? Did somebody else put this on my shelf when I was little and has been collecting dust and dictating little things in the background? Or did I, like with my awareness and my values as a whole adult human being, put that there and that still stands? And so while these can be excruciatingly difficult moments at times, depending on what it is we're facing, I also see them as an opportunity to check in with our values and our ideals for our family, our lives, ourselves. And make the things that are there on that shelf, like yeah. intentional, mm-hmm. you know? Really beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I feel like in past episodes too, I've had like these very like concrete, like list of things that I would like <laughs> us to get to. And inevitably you and I always kind of go this more existential route, but I love it. And I think that it calls into account like an experience that we don't have language for and that many people can relate to. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Erica. One of the things that I've learned about myself now that I've been a therapist for many years is that I have such a hard time having small talk and surface level conversations. Usually when I get together with friends who are often other therapists, we're in the corner talking about childhood trauma or the meaning of life or things like that. And I feel like it just comes with the territory of the work that we do. And I definitely loved having this conversation with Brianna today where we just cut through the surface level and got to the heart of some of the things that really happen when these feelings bubble up to the surface. One of the things that I hear from working with clients the most is how hard it is to get to a level of acceptance, a place of acceptance. We wrestle with our circumstances and there's many reasons why, and there's things that take us longer than others to accept. If you find that you are preoccupied with something and you're really wrestling with a set of circumstances in motherhood or even outside of that, I encourage you to speak to somebody about it. 
When I lost my dad suddenly, like I referenced in the show, and I was having a hard time wrapping my mind around it and accepting that that was the story of what had happened, I also sought out my own therapist and somebody who could help me process all of the narratives and things that were coming up for me. If therapy has always been a little bit intimidating and you've never known where to start, I encourage you to book in a free 15-minute consultation with one of our mom therapists. We serve over 25 states, seven provinces, and we're constantly growing and adding more locations. Our free 15-minute consultation allows you to get to know your therapist and see if they're a good fit without having to jump in headfirst. To learn more, head to momwell.com. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I am being joined by Elizabeth Earnshaw of Liz Listens to discuss the most requested topic on the podcast to date. And that is how to handle when you and your partner are at odds and cannot come to an agreement about whether or not to expand your family. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well.